Well, good morning. Welcome to the uh, Blue Lake Presbyterian Church, and thank you for all coming back this morning. Today's message is titled, From Sorrow to Joy, and it's based on uh, Esther 7 and Esther 9. We'll be pulling uh, several verses from that. Earlier this week, NBC's Lester Holt interviewed the Iranian president Hassan Rouhani while he was in New York uh, for the annual UN General Assembly. Well, in the interview, they talked mostly about the nuclear agreement. Notably absent from the interview was any significant mention of Israel. This, in stark contrast to Iranian leader Ayatollah Khamenei, who in November 2014 called for the destruction of Israel, stating that the Jewish state has no cure but to be annihilated. Similar sentiments were voiced by Iranian President Ahmadinejad in 2005, saying Israel should be wiped off the map. Almost a century ago, in 1922, Journalist Joseph Hell interviewed Adolf Hitler. And that interview provided clues of his ambition to commit mass genocide. Saying in the interview, Once I really am in power, my first and foremost task will be the annihilation of the Jews. Well, by July of 1941... Nazi leader Hermann Goering gave the authorization to prepare and submit a plan for the total extermination of the Jews in all the territories under German control. But this wasn't the only time in history that a government leader gave a decree to annihilate all the Jews in the territories under their control. It happened 24 centuries earlier, in the year 474 before Christ. A high-ranking government official named Haman was displeased by the Jewish inhabitants in his country, and not adhering to the rules that were established by the Persian authorities. And he convinced the king that the Jews should be killed on a specific date, on the 14th day of the 12th month, which in their calendar happens to be the month of March. A decree was signed and sealed by the king 11 months prior to this dreadful day. Now, Haman, the, the government official, was particularly annoyed with a Jewish fellow called Mordecai. And he was determined to have him killed and hanged right in his front lawn of his mansion. Now at that time, there was a Jewish girl named Hadassah. She was an orphan. And she was cared for by her cousin Mordecai. She was a beautiful young lady. 
Oh, after Ahasuerus, the king of Persia, divorced his wife, this beautiful girl won favor of the king to become the next queen. And at that point, she was named Esther. But at that time, the king didn't know that she was of Jewish descent. All these events were recorded in a small book in the Bible titled Esther. And this is what takes us to today's reading of Esther chapter 7. We're going to read verse 1 through 6, then 9 to 10, and then we jump to chapter 9 and we read verses 20 through 21. This can all be found on page 448 in your Bible, the first part of the Bible, and uh, ch- chapter 9 is on page 449. And I'll give you a moment to, to look it up. So the king and Amman went to the feast with Queen Esther. On the second day, as they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have won your favor, O king, if it pleases the king, let my life be given me. And that is my petition. And the lives of my people, that is my request. For we have been sold, and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have held my peace. But no enemy can compensate for this damage to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who has presumed to do this? Esther said, A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Then we jump to uh, verse 9. Then Harbona, one of the Enochs, in attendance on the king, said, Look, the very gallows that Amman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, stand at Amman's house, fifty cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on that. So they hanged him on on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the anger of the king abated. And then we go to chapter 9, verse 20 through 22. Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, and joining them that they should keep the 14th day of the month Adar and also the 15th day of the same month year by year as the days on which the Jews gained relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned from them from sorrow to joy and from mourning into a holiday. 
that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and presents to the poor. Please bow our heads. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find wisdom, and in your will discover your peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So from sorrow to joy, that is the overriding theme in the book of Esther. Now, the story of Esther is unique because it is the only book in the entire Bible that makes no mention of God. In today's vernacular, we would call it a a secular book. One you could find on Amazon or in the bookstore under the uh, thriller or biography section. But there is an undercurrent in this book about the amazing sovereignty of God. Or you may ask how a Jewish girl ended up in the capital of the Persian Empire. More than a century earlier, after the downfall of the kingdom of Judah, most of the Jews were exiled to Babylonia. The exile formally ended when the Persians defeated the Babylonians almost six decades later. The Persian leader, Cyrus the Great, was extremely tolerant to other beliefs. And he offered the Jews the opportunity to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple at Persian taxpayer expense. An estimated 60,000 Jews went back to their home country, to their homeland. But many of them stayed in Persia. Osiris was killed nine years later, in 529 before Christ. And the Jews didn't fare so well under his successor, his son Cambyses II, who suspended the construction of the temple. But work resumed under King Darius, and it was followed by his son Xerxes, who is also known in the Hebrew Bible as Ahasuerus in the book of Esther. Well, the Persian official Amman convinced the king that the Jewish people in his land were a nuisance, and he signed a decree on the 14th day. He signed a decree that by the 14th day of the 12th month, which is in March, all the Jews in the Persian Empire should be exterminated. Not unlike the authorization by Goering in 1941. Well, the Persian Empire at the time consisted of 127 provinces spreading from Ethiopia in the west and India in the southeast all the way to Armenia in the northwest. And as the news of this upcoming doomsday traveled through the empire, 
sorrow and sadness overcame the Jewish people. The Bible says in Esther 4.1, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. And he went through the city wailing with a loud and bitter cry. And then in verse 3, In every province, wherever the king's command and decree reached, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting, and weeping, and lamenting. So for months, the Jewish people were living in fear and agony of this dreadful day that was to come. But although God isn't mentioned once in the book of Esther, He is present in all His omnipotent power. He placed this Jewish orphan in his unlikely place as queen of Persia. And she convinced the queen, of, she convinced the king to save all her people. In Judaism, the book of Esther is the narrative behind the Jewish holiday of Purim. This holiday celebrates the joy after months of sorrow. This event has such significance in Jewish culture that to this day, Jews throughout the world celebrate Purim. This year, it was on March the 1st. Next year, it's on March the 21st. It's essentially four weeks prior to Passover. But that same agony And sorrow that captivated the Jewish people then still lives in the hearts and souls of many people today. How often do we hear people being angry at God for things that are happening in their lives? Or proclaiming God is not real. And even believers may feel that God is not answering prayers, that God is silent. How often do we wonder, God, where are you? Last week, I was listening to Irvin Lutzer of the Moody Church in Chicago. And he said this, Don't mistake the silence of God with the absence of God. Don't mistake the silence of God with the absence of God. Now let me illustrate this with an example. Last week, a movie called Unbroken, The Path to Redemption was released. The film begins where the movie Unbroken concludes, sharing the next chapter of the true story of Olympian and World War II veteran, Luis Semperini. Haunted by nightmares of his torment, Luis sees himself anything but a hero. Luis' quest for events drives him into deeper and deeper into despair. 
He turns to alcohol and develops a severe drinking problem in an attempt to soften the deep emotional wounds that the war had inflicted on him. Sorrow and sadness dominate his life. But then then comes a remarkable turn of events. A young preacher called Billy Graham comes to L.A. in 1949 using a rented circus tent. And one night, on October 23, Semperini heard Graham say, If you suffer, I will give you the grace to go forward. Well, Semperini tells how he recalled all the miraculous moments during the war when his body might have been broken. And yet, it did not. But on that night of October 23rd, Semperini's broken soul was touched. He walked down that sawdust aisle toward Billy Graham. Louis Semperini gave his life to Christ that night. He put away the bottle forever. And in an interview at, for CBN, he said that from that moment forward, he did not have another nightmare ever again. Luis Semperini devoted the rest of his life to Christian testimony and helping youth. Well, one of the team members in our company lost her son earlier this year. He was only 27. This traumatic and heartbreaking experience left her in a deep state of sadness and despair for many months. Sorrow had filled her heart and soul. At one point, she asked me if someday I would give a sermon on sadness and sorrow. She told me that she had put her trust in God. She surrendered to the Lord and put it all in His hands. The light of Jesus is shining through her. And she is again talking to her customers. She is engaged in her work. And she is in great spirits. And she is here this morning. Bless her heart. Her journey took her from sorrow to joy. Because of her faith in Jesus Christ. And the love of God. How often do we see people losing faith? When things start going bad. But this is where the test of faith starts. God wouldn't have allowed it It if it wasn't going to be used for good. Maybe he hasn't brought it all together yet. Two weeks ago, there was a celebration of life of Dottie Hockenberg at the New Heart Community Church in McKinley. She was my administrative assistant for 12 years. She was a regular visitor 
to this church. And what a blessing to have been Daddy's friend for the last 33 years. A year ago, she came to me with a book written by Billy Graham called Nearing Home. And she told me reading this book had inspired her to put all her things in order. And she asked if I would give the eulogy at her memorial service. I felt honored and privileged to be asked to do this. I couldn't think of a better way to articulate how this exceptional woman had an impact on my life and that of countless other people that had the fortune to come in touch with her and were touched by her warm heart and hospitality. She told me after her husband Bill had died how she was grieving as she was immensely sad and filled with sorrow. But then she said, rather than shriveling away like a dried up prune, verbatim, this is verbatim, I am going to make a difference. And she certainly did. She dedicated the rest of her life bringing God's message of salvation to others. And during this memorial two weeks ago, many people shared how Dottie had touched their lives, including a man who spent some time in jail. And Dottie came to visit several times. The sorrow of the death of her husband was transformed into the joy of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Nehemiah 8.10, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Esther had lost her father and her mother at a young age. She was in a foreign country. She was filled with sorrow. But here she ends up as the queen of Persia, one of the most powerful empires in the world at the time. And God put her in a position to save her people. At our farm in Willow Creek, we grow some grapes to make wine. Now, Jesus used vineyards and wine analogies in many of his parables. But in order to to make wine, it takes grapes. And I brought a few this morning from the vineyard yesterday. See these beautiful grapes here? In order to turn this into wine, these grapes need to be crushed. It takes crushing and destroying these grapes in order to turn them into award-winning wines. So it is in our lives. The sorrow of crushing ultimately produces joy. Jesus said in John 16, 20, Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, 
but your sorrow will turn into joy. God put Esther in this agonizing place, fearing for her life while disclosing her identity in order to save her people. But her fear and bravery turned victorious. Or so can ours. Do we share our testimony to bring comfort to those that are in despair? Are we prepared to share our, our journey from sorrow to joy? The Bible says in Psalm 94, 19, When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. Sometimes we find ourselves in a bad place with hardship, misfortune, and sorrow. But instead of praying it away, maybe God put us there on purpose to let His light shine. Difficulty may look like a setback, but it could well be that it is a setup to push us into his destiny. The psalmist said, The steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord. Sometimes we are distressed and in agony, but we can find comfort in 1 Peter 1 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Friends, put your trust in God. Accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And he will lead us through that narrow gate on the pathway to eternal life. Thank you. God bless you. Amen.